0: Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. My name is Ingrid, and I am your host. And we are at episode two, and Jay has decided to return. Welcome back, Jay.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be back.
0: <laughs> guess so, we just didn't
1: have enough the first time.
0: Oh, my God. No, we did not. <laughs> there was so much to unpack. It was such an excellent, excellent show as we introduced the discussion about why is the CCC important for the SLP to combat what I would consider to be the clinical perspective of like, why do we have to pay for this shit? You know, (laughs) so, you know, as a practitioner lens, I have my opinions and um, I sit within wanting to understand how I can benefit from experiencing the C's. For my fellow practitioners that are anchored to it based on needing it for their license or for a job that they want to have. You know, these are all things that have become so ingrained in our culture in the short 30 years that the C's have been required. It is really interesting because for 70 of the years that we've kind of developed and moved into this profession, it was never required. And so it comes down to, the idea that I asked last time, which was, do we walk it back or do we move it into a more appropriate space? And so, Jay, I landed a little bit at your feet, being that you have participated in our national organization in this particular area. Mm-hmm. And I, I leave the floor to you to kind of discuss, like, what do you think would benefit our experiences as clinical practitioners with feeling more satisfaction with the CCC? And what do you feel we need to do to make that possible?
1: So I've always thought about the CCC, and this kind of goes back to what what you've mentioned before, as kind of that stage that you've gone through this educational process, you've gone through um, this um, clinical learning, you've gone through a process of a, of understanding what it means to practice uh, with someone who has gotten this certification and you've achieved the steps that it took to become this fully nationally certified speech language pathologist. And so when I was going through this process all the way back from when I was in undergrad, that was kind of the path. And that was one of the things that was really discussed um early on even in my undergraduate program it's like this is this is the path to becoming nationally recognized for the work that you do and as i have grown in that um i've understood that it is a a level of competency that you achieve when you have passed this these multiple steps so going from the undergraduate degree, degree to the master's degree to the clinical fellowship to the Praxis or the national examination and then achieving this this certification that's um, now understood to be saying that we're graduating people who are minimally competent in these major areas of practice. And so, therefore, you're able to go out here in the world and do all these things um, in this profession. And so my thought has always been like, yes, this is this is the path that we're going to 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 be able to support the needs of individuals with communication disorders across this country. And as I have evolved across my career, I have seen and learned, um, you know, there are different ways to go about that. And that certification is something that you can want to achieve, but it's not a requirement. And it's not something that you must do, but it's highly sought after. And I think that that's just kind of been the, the image that has been given to many of us that choose to follow that path. And what it has valued in my, I guess I can only speak to what I've seen value for my career is knowing that I have had the ability to, um, to kind of move in different spaces, to, to think about work in different ways. Like if I have this credential, then this allows me to do these things that have, um, added to, I guess, my my educational background. And then recognizing, too, and it used to be the thought that I had, like, oh, I have my C's. That means I can go anywhere, right? This makes this very easy for me to to jump across state lines, to do the thing, to be recognized for the work that I do. But then I realized, like, well, I mean, that is true. I'm paying this one certification cost, but I guess, truly, I could go work anywhere I wanted to anyway because I would just need to be eligible for the licensure requirements in the state that I wanted to go to. So those are things that I was learning across um, my time in figuring out what this actually meant. What does it mean to have to to value the seas in the sense of um, continually re-upping year after year? Like I said, I think that that's also something that, for me, when people have understood what it meant for those who understand the profession and they're looking for professionals, they're looking for people who are working. They want to know that they are coming to an individual who has, um, the best possible knowledge and skill and education that there is in this profession. And for many people who, understand the profession because we know there are a lot of people who don't um seeing that credential behind the name of the professional has helped them to understand what it is that we have to offer not to say that if people don't have that or decide not to um and just decide to get a state license um can't do the same thing but that's what it has become as this um this ideal of an individual who has met all of the requirements to practice in the area that they've sought after.
0: And I think that's an important idea. I think people do enjoy concepts. What it actually represents when you're doing the job day to day gives you another understanding of what is actually the, the circumstances or the truth around the situation mm-hmm. um, because when I think about getting a master's degree and I look next to my occupational, next to me and I see my occupational therapists and my, you know, now they've upgraded to DPT, but Mm -hmm. at one point my physical therapists, we were all kind of operating with the same level of clinical exposure at master's degree levels and going Mm -hmm. out and doing practice. But I somehow was lesser than, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which is a disappointing experience. Now, I am very bullheaded. So I want my degree to represent the fact that I am master's degree. If I get a master's in business, I don't need a mentor when I'm done. If I get a master's in any of the other types of allocated experiences across the board, I'm actually a really competitive employee. I've paid a lot of money to achieve my master's degree. And so in that, when I think about the additional experience of just logging hours to make sure I worked enough Mm -hmm. to be considered a certified person without harming, because that's really ultimately what the CF supervisor provides, is to make sure you're not harming patients. It isn't to really necessarily specialize you. You don't have additional education that you need to do within your CCC. You don't need to do anything additional in your education. So in that, it's just that you are okay to practice without harming an individual. And my master's degree wasn't enough to give me that, unlike my sister affiliates, occupational and physical therapy. With that being stated, if I were to look at the CCC experience at its most romanticized, It is definitely a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You gain a lot with a good CF supervisor. You gain a lot. You become an excellent clinician. It is such an asset. It is such a benefit. Is that the majority of our CF experiences, though? And how are we moving to make that more important? And then subsequent to getting your Cs, how are we continuously making the certification something different than the licensing? Because for me, it was pretty similar. To maintain my license, I needed to take this amount of CEUs. Mm-hmm. To maintain my Cs, kind of had to do the same thing. Yeah. So it was duplicate work without anything additional. And that's where the question comes in. What is uniquely important about this certification other than it requires me to get continuing education, much like my state license regulation requires? That critical question leads me down this path of wanting to understand how can we make it better? How can we make it more specialized? How can we make it more beneficial? And that's really the underbelly of all of it, because although I understand societal wise, that additional CCC just gives you a leg up the same way that that additional like that idea that a Ph.D., that is giving you an entire level of respect in society that just being a practicing clinician cannot, even if you have 20 years of clinical practice, but two years of Ph.D., they're going to want that Ph.D. to speak. They're not going to care about that 20-year clinical practitioner, because the research is more important, it's more objective, and it gives more concrete information than that clinical practitioner may be able to provide. And so I understand those gaps in society and what makes those things important, but how do you help make the experience for the clinical practitioner a little bit more palpable so that when October, November, or December comes around, you're not once again on the internet going, I don't want to do this.
1: I'm so <laughs> and you know, frustrated. This, I, and I, I, you know, I, I guess it's just to one of those things that, you know, you think about re-upping every year and truly the best thing that I can say is that, you know, I know that some people's work and some people's um, other experiences are tied to that, but truly maintaining certification in this sense is is a choice and achieving that certification is a choice now does that mean that other people who are employers and payers understand that fully no and i don't think that they have to but you can practice where you want to practice without having that credential if you so choose not to go after that um, one of the things that I have learned about the history is that, um, you know, state licensure for our profession didn't already always exist. And as people in states were fighting to work to protect the profession and protect consumers, um, they looked to the National Association for guidance on how to get these things accomplished. And so I think that a lot of what has happened in the, the marriage or the, the way that people don't understand that certification and licensure aren't the same is that the the way that certification was developed was the model that was then followed by many states after that. So then it was a, like a natural um, state of similarities that existed because this was the standard that was created back in the 50s or so. And as states came on to start to to want to license these professionals to, quote unquote, protect the interest of the consumer, um, it seemed that it was fitting to follow something that was already in existence.
0: Interesting. And I think that the importance of licensing definitely offers some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, you know, my experience when it comes to licensing is precarious because I did... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, did blow different. I did blow that up because I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. To protect the interests of the patient would have been to actually believe the consulting oh, professional. Clinician.
1: Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So, I mean, it, 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 the ideas are always what I find to be really challenging and, you know, For me, as as a person of a different background in the United States, I always try to make sure that the idea is living up to expectation, because unfortunately, that's not the history of this country, and anyone speaking transparently about it can let you know that it's obvious that what our ideas are and desires are and what we're presented with isn't actually the intricate experience on a day-to-day basis. And depending on where you fall in the lane of experience, you might be what I would consider bamboozled into believing that what is actually the ideal is occurring in the actual experience, but you're so separated from it because your lane is different. You and I have different trajectories on how we did this profession 100%. You know, the way you navigated getting to the places that you've gotten in comparison to what I have done in my previous years, I was just a practitioner. I did nothing else. There was nothing else about me that was, at, you know, breaking any type of glass ceiling. I was just doing the job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I recognize how little respect you can get for that. You get a lot of appreciation. Patients appreciate you, especially if you're a good employee. Your boss will appreciate you all day because you are seeing way more patients than you're supposed to and doing documentation off the clock, which I, please, SLPs, stop it. Stop doing that. Uh,
1: That part. Let's (laughs) let's have a whole other conversation about the extra work that we do to, yeah, yeah, that's a whole (laughs) Just, a whole please,
0: just deal. please, just yes, yeah, stop that. Stop it, because you out. are creating the cult. the The culture is continuing to persevere that we're superhuman, and we yeah. cannot continue to allow payers or employers to think that we can do more than we can. So it is a requirement for us to really be like nip that in the bud immediately and stop it. And And, um, and you know,
1: Ingrid, as you say that, it kind of makes me think about the same energy that is given to that idea of how do we stop and change cultures to the same idea of like, what is it that we need more of from this certification, right? So if we're not going to eradicate it and find an alternative to that certification, what is it that we do to have our voices heard to make it work in the ways that we need it to work as part of this profession right so from a from a standpoint of how the certification exists you know there are a number of other entities that are involved in making sure that your certification and that your association is viable and doing all the things that needs to be done and all the checks and the balances that go along with staying as an accredited body that can then give a certification or award or certification to someone who seeks it. So mm-hmm. with that being said, um, the things that might aid us in making it better or worth it are setting us apart in ways. What would that look like? And what would members really want to see happen for them? Outside of, like you said, complaining that they have to pay for it
0: <laughs> every year. I think it's okay.
1: legitimate in the sense of, you know, it's a cost. But so is everything else that we have. Our license is a cost. And, and I know that's another thing. Like, do we need the license and the certification? Because that's costing. Um, there are other professions that have license and certification that they pay for to do the work that they do. But, um, not, but not annually not
0: annually not annually I've done extensive research not annually it is not required of a significant amount of certifications to have annual annual dues It is uniquely Asha it is the reason I have this conversation it's because of how frequent you have to pay for the the certification it's not the fact that you need it it's the frequency And this is the question that comes to play. And the other aspect of that is always the question of like, in comparison to other people that have certifications and all of that, you know, it takes an internal person with a level of influence to kind of cause that question to be risen because nobody is going to ask that comfortably. No one, this is not something that's easy to do, is to say, why are we doing this in comparative to other disciplines or other things that are like-minded to our own? Because I think comparative is important. We're one of the lowest paying, paid disciplines out of, out of the three. We're the least respected out of the three in a lot of circumstances. Not to say that PTs and OTs don't also experience disrespect they do but they're much more known and much more respected there's a level of more understanding not to say complete but just more but it's like where do you
1: think that begins though because well i have had thoughts about this too because somewhere along the lines some message got lost somewhere where do you think that comes from
0: internal inconsistencies within the speech language pathology discipline. PTs and OTs have lovely objective data that can be, it is consistent year after year after year. And the data is uncompromising because it's objective. With speech language pathology, as much as you want to objectify what we do, it is really a subjective experience. You can have an MBS IMP, stand SLPs, that are all certified in front of it and get like five or six different reports. (laughs) And so when you become a science, quote unquote, that is interpretive based on the provider, it becomes a very difficult experience to be a respected discipline. And this was indicated by one of the, um, I cannot recall his name, but I do remember him having a conversation with another reputable SLP regarding the fact that he is going to legislation trying to go to bat for SLPs, and he cannot, for the life of him, bring objective data because every few years, something that was once objective has become subjective, and it's no longer appropriate, which is fine because we are a growing discipline that's about the human experience more than anything else. hmm How people feel about speech-language pathology is equally as important as what data we collect on it. And we can do a better job being patient-centered and responding to their feelings. Our outcomes will be better because of that. But it does make it in the patriarchal substructure of the United States of America, where benefit is about money, you need to have objective data. And that's the reason PTs are where they are, OTs are in the middle, and SLPs are at the bottom. We are the most subjective in the perception of the objective data. Now, anyone doing the discipline understands there is a method to the madness, like psychology, Psychology can offer a lot of that, but we need to probably change how we do our science to operate more in that fashion. Maybe liken it a little bit more towards how psychology is because it does take in the individual experience and it pulls samples in a way that is just a little bit different than what our discipline has done because we don't have enough diversity in our research and enough consistency of surveys to give it the teeth that it needs to make a beneficial change but historic things are really hard to modify. So this is why I understand where we are in our position, but it's the reason why I'm like holding on to the CCC certification is the historic understanding of the last 30 years. When we were trying to distinguish between bachelor level and master's degree, when we were changing, but all, but our sister organizations or therapists that are going from, you know, bachelor degree to master degree to doctorate degree, didn't have to do the same thing. And they definitely didn't have to do it with an attached financial responsibility on an annual basis. So if we are going to continue to do this, because we don't have the the, what I would call cojones as a collective to really walk it back or ask the questions of what would we need to do to walk it back? How difficult would it be? Then the other question is, like, how do we make it more beneficial so that people that are just like me, that only practice, that do nothing else, that just want to work, how do we make it feasible that universally, not just in particular states or particular jobs, you don't have to have your C's? How do we make it a universal experience where having your C's is like you get a pay bump? Every year, because you got what you needed to be certified every year, because certifications are supposed to also help you financially. Right. So let's make it a financial benefit to people. Let's advocate to push that the CCC gives me more money the more years I've had it. I've been five years CCC. Give me more money for that. I've been 10 years CCC. Give me more money for that. That just means I have 10 years of additional clinical education underneath my belt. Can I get more money? How can we advocate in that way? These are all the things that I'm just trying to process in my mind Mm -hmm. of what can ASHA do? What can we do? What can we advocate for? Cause I think at this point, all we know to do is to complain, but there's no real direction on what to do for a solution
1: And I think that part of what can help is the actual act of getting involved in the association to learn how an association works and then to figure out what things are okay about that association and what things are not so okay about that and how do we work to to change those things. I recognize that everyone does not have the time or the energy to get involved in these associations. Um, But I do think that the opportunity to voice those concerns, sitting in on committees, sitting in on councils that exist to hopefully move the needle forward can be one thing that people can do if that is something that they're interested in. I also think that collectively gathering ideas or talking to people who understand the association and how to go about making those changes and being a voice for those kinds of change can help too. I think that is not just about one person or one single thing or one particular time that things are going to, to just magically happen. I do think it takes a collective group of voices that are actively working together in the same motion to ensure that people understand what it is that we need to to have happen. Um so that's what, one thing I, of, I can think of.
0: What kind of personalities do you think gravitate to the speech language pathology profession?
1: What I have observed, I think there there are different types, but what I've observed for most people who will say, especially when they are thinking about coming into this profession, is I just want to get into a place where I can help people do better. And I don't want to have any other things that I really need to do outside of that.
0: And I, I agree with you on that 100%. And I think that's where we see the challenges with internal change of the national organization and participation within it. It is because the people that come into this profession, myself included, I'm a nurturer. I just wanna give, give, give. And although I might be a bit bullish, definitely a revolutionary in my head.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the best place to live. Boy, okay.
0: When it comes to actual participation inside of a situation where you feel like you are dealing with riptide after riptide after riptide, you do become one of these individuals that are like, what am I doing? Because the energy that I want to be spending on my patients, I'm being pulled out from under me in the spaces where I'm literally making no headway. And I can only say that because I am now in a different profession and I understand how frustrating it is in the corporate environment to want something to transpire and will it and desire it and hope for it. And then five days go by and no email response has been accomplished. Like you're like, yo, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I'm trying to get your attention here. I'm trying to talk to you. And it just kind of gets shuffled aside. We really appreciate your feedback this is so helpful thank you so much but then nothing happens there Mm. and you you really know that no matter how much you can put this out there you're gonna get the thank you so much for your contribution and so i think there's a little bit of that aside Mm -hmm. from just fatigue from just doing the work
1: yeah and and i feel all of that because my career has been sprinkled with a little bit of everything, but all of it has been in hard work in figuring out what I need to do for my students, for my patient, for whatever aspect that I've been in. But there's also been the point in time where I have, and I, I guess this might go back to me in my youth, but always sitting around and feeling like I have to wait on someone else to do something has just not suited me. So I've one way or the other found myself getting involved sometimes voluntarily and then sometimes involuntarily because I have stood up in the room and made a statement or asked a question that many people might have been thinking about or um wondering about but no one asked because it's like what difference it's going to make and for me it's like well I could be that person you know and sit there it's like you know what this is going to happen it's going to move forward but I just get so uncomfortable with that. So I just have felt like, okay, if I see that, you know, I'm hearing people say that this is problematic. I experience this being problematic. I have witnessed this happening. I don't think that this is right. How do I go about changing this or how do I go about fixing it? So for me, it's been a situation of figuring out how do I get into these spaces where I can be a voice or do something that allows for some change. And I guess maybe somewhere along the lines, I might some people might look at me and think I might be delusional, but I believe that being present and being at the in the part of the conversation or being at the spaces where you can talk to and be a part of the things that change in organizations or in systems, that's what I felt like I've needed to do. So, so I can't speak to everyone else. Zero is gonna regulation. be able to do that. But for me, that's what I've had to do. And I don't know, I've never defined it as that. It's just there's something that has always set in my stomach or in my my being that has just not been okay with things just staying the same.
0: That, so I've just it, I used mean... that to
1: try to encourage other people hey, I've gotten apart. I've done this. I've done this. Hey, come to, like, there's a seat that's open. There's, they're looking for people to do this. Are you interested? What do you think about doing this? And, you know, that's just kind of been the way that I wanted to motivate people to get involved. And I wholeheartedly believe because of the work that I've done it, and people may look at it and say that it's minor changes here or there, but they're changes um, in the way that we go about even operating from a certification standpoint with this association. Um, I I just want people to get the energy behind them to say like, you know, you can sit in this room and and make your voice heard and have things shift. It's not going to be easy. I can have sat in so many conversations in so many of the rooms. They were like, that doesn't make sense. Why would we want to do that? That no. That, that, that just doesn't fit what we're trying to do. And it's like, well, what is it that you're trying to do? Because what you're saying we're trying to accomplish here is staying the same and keeping things comfortable. I don't think that, that we are in a position to be able to do that. So I would just I just always want to push people and motivate people to get involved in any way that they can to let their voice be heard. It can be on a macro level. It can be on a micro level. If there's any time and effort that you have, if it's writing to the national office, if it's writing to a senator, if it's any of those kinds of things, those things actually make make a difference. And I didn't used to believe that until I actually saw it for myself. When you can contact the senator's office, give them a call, have a conversation with someone, and they're actually listening to these conversations and listening to the things that are happening and try to go and push in- In spite of us thinking that maybe that doesn't happen. And I've seen the same thing happen within this association to where you're in a room and you're thinking, everybody's thought about this this way. Everyone has seen that this obviously needs to change. Mm -hmm. And I've sat in a room and made that statement of like, have y'all thought about this? And the next thing I know, I'm looking around and everyone has this puzzled look on their face. And they're like, I never thought about it that way. And of course, my first question is, why the hell not? But then it's like, oh, so there is room to bring in perspectives that people haven't thought about, which then works through the system of helping to change how this is done. So that's just kind of what has been burning within me, especially within the past five to 10 years in this profession. And I've just looked for ways to, how do I step into a situation and figure out how to change or shift the atmosphere in some kind of way?
0: And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you are a black man. Okay. Because ultimately you can feel things that are disturbing to you from the very beginning. You were not quite comfortable just in general and i think that matters so you're comfortable in the spaces of making things more palatable to your experience which is required for you to live a comfortable life and if you find that anything is pressing in on that you are going to naturally resist it but if you're in an experience where you're not really accustomed to feeling oppression are you going to be a person that can pick up the baton or pick up the weight that it takes to be somebody that changes a system that is really, really significantly what you would consider more powerful than you. You know, I I don't know.
1: I I don't either. I can't speak to that, but all I can speak to is if I do that.
0: Oh no. if If I
1: don't do it, then what am I existing for?
0: it's your natural disposition because of everything that you've probably had to go through in life to be the person that you are in correlation to me, I've had to do what I've had to do. And I myself operate with an understanding of like, that's not hard in the sense of like, it's, it's feasible. Yeah. It it can be done. It isn't going to be a circum. it just requires like consistent pressure. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep at it. It'll yield. Um, And that's historically, I think, what is part of being part of this country in a disenfranchised space where you're like, oh, the circumstances are like this. But if we just keep applying pressure, eventually it will yield. And it does. It does to some level of palatability. Um, But for, like I said, the people that don't necessarily experience this discipline or this profession in that same way, they're probably not asking themselves those same questions that you are. Or Which is I'm... why it's
1: important for those who have a different experience to have a voice in those rooms, not to always educate. Because I believe that in, in many spaces too, education can happen just kind of in the space that you're in, you don't have to be on the target. It's like, I'm going to tell you that this, you need to understand. But I think sometimes just raising the questions, raising ideas, bringing a different perspective can help shift other people's perspectives because the privilege is that they don't have to shift their perspective, right? So why will we expect things to change if we don't have to have people, if people don't have to shift their perspective? I think that it's important to have voices that are different and that can be, In this profession, voices who are typically muted or underrepresented for a number of different reasons can be in those spaces if they feel that that is their calling to do that and and impact change. And I think that we also then border on those who have the privilege to not think outside of the, the way that they've been accustomed to, to look at things differently and say, well, why can't we do it this way? Why shouldn't we? And then the process goes into how comfortable are you going to be with being uncomfortable? And for a lot of people, they don't want to be uncomfortable ever.
0: Right. Which is where I can complain about something, but not actually contribute to a solution. Actually do it. it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think, like you said before, like there's a, there's a whole market for that. Like there's just things that people are going to rally behind in this space. But then after the smoke clears, then what's really gonna happen? And I, I think that what needs to what people can understand, or maybe should try to understand, or could try to understand, is the importance yeah. of a collective of voices working toward the same thing can really shift an atmosphere. So if we want better and we want more, what are we gonna do to go after that?
0: Well, I think ultimately it comes down to people's desire and what has been an example historically is not necessarily something that would indicate to me that climbing those steep heights <laughs> is part of the agenda. So yeah. I think ultimately how do we become more comfortable within the circumstances that we're in Maybe more of an easier avenue to go down because I don't want to to consider that the only option is just to be a discipline that just always complains and doesn't do anything. Um, I do think there's one pathway to living a level of comfort, and each individual has to find their path in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely the opportunity to be able to engage with you may be something that people want to do. So, um, I would like for you to share your email address so that if somebody does want to kind of have the opportunity of like knowing what they can do or where they can write if this touches them, because you know, my whole two followers,
1: (laughs) (laughs) we know it's more than that <laughs> we
0: never know. We know
1: people are waiting to hear what you have to say next you never,
0: you never know what people you know <laughs> what might strike them so i jay if you don't mind sharing um oh
1: sure absolutely um i am on um instagram at roundtree group r-o-u-n-d-t-r-e-e group g-r-o-u-p um, that's on Instagram, and um, that's probably one of the first places you can go and send, you know, follow, and then send a message, and then we can connect on other ways. Um, if you want to email me directly, my email address is Gerald, and that is J-E-R-R-O-L-D dot Jackson, as in Michael Jackson, at dot org. Perfect.
0: And so that will conclude our discussion on CCC and why it matters. (laughs) And ultimately, um, Jay, I do thank you so much for your time, your perspective and your dedication to the experience of trying to help this discipline grow into something better than what it was when you walked into it. And that is something we all admire, appreciate and love about your presence in this space. So thank you so much for that.
1: Well, I just wanna thank you, and I have to say for engaging in the conversation, having me here, um, experiencing this with you, and just to challenge us all. Cause I feel like when since we've connected, I felt that you've challenged me to think about things in ways that I might not have thought about before. So just keep challenging us and keep holding us accountable.
0: Well, we all know I got questions for days. Do <laughs> you think about this? How about this? What about this angle? What about this yeah. over here? And did you know historically? And did you know comparatively? And did you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Which all makes me—it makes me very exacerbating. I will not lie. <laughs> And which is what I'm, but I
1: was gonna say, this is your, but this is your calling. So you do what you do, and we just, we just flow with it. And I'm happy to be on the flow.
0: This is also a beautiful reason (laughs) as to why I am a hundred percent single. Because God knows, no man can put up with that kind of questioning.
1: I think um. that you know what this is not that type of show, and I think we probably should have a conversation somewhere else. But I do think that there's somebody out there that's ready for the challenge.
0: Boy, boy, point him I in one direction. I am so I ready. Do. We can. Because I'm
1: personally the kind of person that likes this kind of banter. So I'm not the only person in this world who would be challenged and appreciating a person like you. So.
0: Sir, you trust are married me. and married. Let's get off that. That's
1: fine. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just letting you know, I'm not the only one out there like this. So trust and believe there's somebody else out there that's ready to rumble. <laughs> but thanks again, Fred. I appreciate this.
0: Absolutely. Now, you have a good evening, guys. I hope you enjoy episode two. I will be circling back on episode three with one of my favorite businesswomen who gives a ton of advice and I want to say episode four is going to be circulating around the opportunity to discuss academics in the SLP uh, realm and how we're feeling about that navigation as a whole in regards to what they encourage, what they teach, and how we feel about it. So until Ooh, next I can't time,. Wait to hear that. Mm-hmm. Until <laughs> next time, thank you so much, and you guys have a wonderful day. <laughs> Bye.